Mic check, one, two, one, two. Back again. Another episode of the world famous Planet of the Apes podcast. Over a million listeners <laughs> daily. You should see all the zeros on our paychecks. Probably. <laughs> it might be. I ain't looked yet. It might only be zeros. <laughs> you hear him, you know him, you love him. Kevin, he's Kevin. back again, my co host. How are you? No, you know, I'm alive. Here. Ready for it. Ready, ready to get this done. Yeah. We have our most difficult guests back again. Uh, with no us. water this time. No water. Oh. We only get that once. Yeah. We gotta we gotta get two million listeners before we get you more water. <laughs> Zach Palak is back, owner of Optimal Human Performance. Back here to answer some questions with us. Zach, how are you? Good, good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Always so energetic. Yes. <laughs> Really, I, really, to hold it back a little bit. We gotta, I, I swear, that's just my voice. Let's fucking slow it down. Start <laughs> overload the podcast. Um, so we talked about the uh, the FRC model uh, with our last episode with you, Zach, and you kind of took us through that. So there's one part of this uh, the, the the FRC system that uh, kind of carries over to everything, and at least in my opinion, in athletic development, and every coach should be doing it whether you're a strength coach or a spring coach or you know a sport coach uh, and that's cars before you start whatever if it's training practice whatever you're doing your cars routine it's something that we do before uh, every workout our athletes will do their head-to-toe cars um, I have a half-assed explanation for what it is but at the end of the day I don't need to know what it is as long as I got my guys doing it uh, that's good enough but someone has to know what it is and that's someone is Zach so why don't you walk us through what a cars routine is Zach? Sure. so I'll start just by telling you what the acronym stands for. Good start. Um, so it stands for <laughs> controlled articular rotations. So that sounds like a really fancy way of saying big joint circles. Uh, it's a little bit more involved than that. But basically what we're looking to do with the CARS routine is take every one of our joints through its full range of motion. And the reason we do that uh, simply is that we're trying to stimulate all of the mechanoreceptors in the joint. Um, so everybody's heard of the principle of use it or lose it as far as training goes. The same principle applies to joint health and mobility. So if you look at a kid, every kid can sit in a deep squat. As yeah, they get just, older, I was just playing with Cade yeah. when he got here. And, yeah. you know, he's beautiful squat technique. Yeah. Great ankle range motion. He literally sits in a 90-90 and then like gets up out of it. Like, yeah. he's like, like sure. up to his feet. I'm like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I mean, kids hang on to those degrees of freedom up until a certain age where, you know, free play starts to get eliminated. They start getting into more sports and essentially they're movement variety starts to become limited so the body being efficient and lazy starts to strip away those ranges of motion if they're not used so cars is kind of our way of combating that loss of range and continuing to communicate that our, to our body that we want to hold on to those ranges of motion um, so the whole routine takes probably about 10 minutes once you get it figured out if you if you do it right eight to ten minutes yeah. you know some of the younger kids would get through it in five minutes because they're just flailing and yeah. fucking throwing their arms around but yeah if you do it diligently eight to ten minutes i think is usually what our athletes take yeah i mean you're like i said you're trying to take each joint through its full range of motion um and yeah that's basically it like it's 
the whole idea is maintaining joint health, maintaining range of motion. Uh, and I think it's probably the most useful aspect of the FRC system if I had to pick one. Just the idea that people have to do daily maintenance and kind of trying to get that message across is probably the most challenging thing with most people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, so we, you talk about uh, the, the joint health is a big part of it for sure. I also, whenever I introduce this to my athletes and I kind of explain why we're doing it, uh, first and foremost is the joint health because the only way to maintain a, joint, uh, a healthy joint is to move it. Um, we, we know that. Um, but I also mentioned for me, and maybe you can kind of touch on, on the science behind this, but for me, I feel like it's a great way to sort of tell your body like, hey, we're about to get active. We're about to start doing something athletic. Like you, you need to be prepared yeah. and wake up. It's a great way to sort of connect those pathways before you need them at a higher at a higher level. Can you kind of touch on the science behind that? Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that if you're doing it well, it's pretty challenging. You can make it really difficult depending. Yeah, you can break a sweat. Like you, you've had me a few times yeah. taking me through things. That, like you'll sweat while you do it. I mean, yeah. you're not like the best example of that because no, you sweat no, sitting good. down. <laughs> but, it's, better, it's better now that I'm vegan. <laughs> I get but, meat sweats all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do a warm-up. One of those being decreasing uh, joint viscosity, uh, viscosity of synovial fluid, and just getting things moving freely. So when you have a deliberate way to do that at each major joint, that's a good way to kind of make sure that all your bases are covered. Also, I talked about stimulating mechanoreceptors when working at end range. That Those are the main cells responsible for giving your body information about where it is in space. So helping to build proprioception, which could be hugely beneficial when it comes to, you know, not only athletes, but just general population. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mechanoreceptors, joint viscosity. Yeah. I like it. I like, I like <laughs> the big we're, words. We're technical. It makes me seem like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Because <laughs> I'm not just some guy with his head tattooed saying fuck into a microphone. <laughs> like we're saying big words too. Um, so we got, next up we got a question uh, about cardio, Kevin. You got a question. Yeah. Via the one. text message machine. Yeah. About yeah, cardio. And I think one. we're just going to each kind of give our, I think I'm going to go first and then Zach will sort of build on my answer for it. Okay, cool. I'm going to get to this one right here. Good thing you had it open and ready to go. Oh, it is. It's ready to go. Yeah, you know we're me. on top of things here at H2H. <laughs> okay. Um, so I got, what are Brad's thoughts on cardio? How often um, and how intense uh, should it be? And then also a ratio to uh, cardio to strength training. Um, do your plans change also on sports? Like yeah, more cardio if you're a soccer player or something like that. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Zach to podcast school here because I'm going to start it off by saying it depends. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's the answer he wants to give to everything. But here's how you do a podcast. You take that idea and apply it to what you do best. So primarily I work with football players, hockey players, um, you know, basketball, baseball to a lesser extent, but let's talk football, hockey, because those are in terms of training athletes, football, hockey, same thing, you know, hockey, more sprinting, less contact, but in terms of how we approach the training for it, it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think that cardio needs to be separated from lifting. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's a very, you know, muscle and fitness, men's health kind of approach to things, a very 
the the fitness industry and and at the surface of like this question is from someone who's not involved in the fitness industry deeply so on its surface you see cardio and you see lifting as two different worlds um it's it's not really that separate right one can't really you if you lift something a hundred times if you're going to be winded after you know what i mean like they can't exist independently um and we we really attack it simultaneously i think it depends where we are within our macro cycle. If we're in our off season, it's a lot less of an emphasis. We're more focused on quality of movement and, and moving some big weight, uh, running fast, jumping high, stuff like that. Um, but if we're getting closer to the season, then yeah, we definitely want to push the uh, the aerobic side of things a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I'll do it through my training. So what I'll do, uh, I, I only do this with like super out of shape athletes. Generally, with what we do in terms of like keeping rest intervals short between sets um, and getting through you know, a workout that should take two hours in an hour and 10 minutes kind of thing, just keeping that, that, uh, the rest intervals really low and that tempo really high. Um, that keeps us in good enough shape that I'd say maybe 80% of my athletes don't need to do any special conditioning to get ready for the season. You know, maybe put them on a prowler for a few weeks before. Um, but other than that, there's, there's not much more that needs to be done. Um, if someone's super out of shape, what we'll do, um, on a dynamic effort squat day, um, we'll set up, he farted. He farted. Yeah, yeah, fart. fart. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna stick. Um, so on our dynamic effort day, we'll have our squats, our deadlifts, and the prowler set up, uh, so we can just go one after the other. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna take fifty to sixty percent of a one rep max one rep max squat uh, plus twenty five percent band tension. We're gonna do uh, eight doubles with that, with ten second rest intervals between sets. So I don't even let the athlete come out from under the bar. You can rack it. And then at eight seconds, you're taking it out of the rack. I'm going to move the hooks at 10 seconds. You better be squatting. Yeah. So you have eight doubles with 10-second rest interval. And then we're straight over to the deadlift platform. you got 10 seconds to hit your first set. we got 10 doubles uh, sumo in the deadlift. And then right after that, you got 10 seconds to get outside and do your first prowler push. We're going 10-second push, 10-second rest six times. Um, so we're going eight doubles in the squat, 10 doubles in the deadlift. And about we get about 10 yards in, in 10 seconds, you know, eight to 10 yards. Yeah. Uh, six trips of that with the prowler. Uh, and that kind of mimics a half of football, oh, you know what I mean, in, in terms of aerobic demand. Um, so that's sort of my directed way of training or conditioning football and hockey players. Um, I'm, I'm, I may do it for basketball and, and baseball and the other sports that we train as well. I think it'd, it'd be great for like MMA yeah. as well. Um, but with those, with the athletes I've had at that, they've all been lower, like younger kids, lower level athletes. So it's not something we need to really hammer with them. They were in good enough shape to go play, so so go play. Yeah, was was sort of my approach to that. But yeah, I don't think it has to be a, a big separate thing. And I think it, it's you know, use your common sense. If you're training for a marathon, then you're going to want to do something that would challenge aerobic capacity more so than strength. But don't don't act like strength doesn't play a role in in marathon running. You yes. know what I mean? 100%. And if you're going to be a power lifter, you know you should probably focus more on strength than aerobic capacity. But don't act like you know, I, I couldn't breathe, period. That's the end of the sentence. When I was a power lifter, like, I just couldn't breathe. Did I do any cardio? Did I do any aerobic? No, fuck that. Like, I, I never did. So um, I think find a healthy balance, especially if you're like Gen Pop, you just want to live a healthy life. Find a balance between the two that you enjoy because as long as you're doing something, yeah. um, I think that's great. And then if you're an athlete, I mean, my first recommendation is find a coach that would know what they're doing and have them do it for you because you don't need to know that. Um but if you're not willing to do that, then just use your best uh, common sense to kind of figure, like, you know, football, you need to have some aerobic capacity, but a play only lasts, you know, five to eight seconds. So you don't have to run a marathon to train for that. You should probably be sprinting and lifting kind of thing. Yes. What, okay. you, what would you like to add, Zach? Follow up. 
man, he stole my answer. <laughs> but, but it's almost like but, it's almost like Zach was I trained Zach. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Like you got two same can, but different. Two can play at that game. So like Brad touched on his main demographic is football players, athletes. Uh, most of my demographic is more general population. So to steal Brad's typical answer here, I think when I think cardio, the first thing that comes to mind is GPP, general physical preparedness. Yes. So it doesn't necessarily have to be cardio in the traditional sense of slow, boring, sit on a bike, stand on a treadmill. Yeah. yeah. Um, like it could be lots of things, but it doesn't necessarily have to be geared towards a sport just make them do some sort of sustained work so like i might put somebody on the assault bike for a bit like nothing crazy sometimes we'll do intervals but that's not what i think of when i think cardio um sometimes it's carries uh, sometimes it's some sort of carry medley something to get their heart rate up and also the way that i structure most of my clients training it's more circuit based than anything. So they're doing, you know, three minutes of sustained work, short break, doing that for three rounds, a little bit longer break, and then into like another kind of triset type deal. Um, so just, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just get them doing something consistently. As far as frequency goes, I think it should probably be a consistent part of your training. So whatever that looks like, if you're going to the gym two days a week, like most of the general pop that see me, then obviously I'm going to have it twice a week when they come to see me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of strength athletes, just because I'm not a super heavyweight Multiply. You're not living that life, Derek. <laughs> You're not, not living that life. Not quite that committed. We don't have video, but Zach isn't purple, which means he's probably not a power lifter. <laughs> much, much weaker and paler than Brad. But, uh, like, I just like it for, like, a recovery day. I mean, after you get a heavy squat on Saturday, uh, we used to have it structured, so Sunday was kind of like a accessory type day. I might do... A short ride on the bike just to get my legs back or you know just get myself feeling good but nothing really too fancy about that yeah i think that i think that's an underutilized method in training is using really light cardio based exercise for recovery like something i'll have my athletes do if they're really beat up is is you know put on some ankle weights and go walk a mile you know the loop around the gym just happens to be a perfect mile so you go do yeah. that um, um, or, or go for like a, you know, football, I always, I always tell football players, like, you don't need to run long distances, you know, to train for football, but there's nothing wrong with going for a mile jog just to get some blood flowing, just to get something moving. Um, yeah. that, that can help with recovery a lot. So yeah, I think it's, it, it's not as with anything in exercise, it's not about how much you do. It's about the quality that you do. And it's yeah. about how consistent you are with it. Right. Like who, who care if I, I could tell you to do it four times a week, but if you're not, if you don't want to, you're not going to fucking do it. So commit to what you can commit to. If you can do two days a week, then do two. And when that's easy, then maybe you can add a third. You know what I mean? And, and keep doing that. And maybe you find four is too many. You're not recovering. So take it back to three. It's going to change person to person, right? Okay, perfect. I feel like that question was thoroughly answered. 
right? Like Got it. your money's worth like that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also, I guess I wanted uh, another question here. Uh, the person asked about um, injuries. Uh, we're coming up right now into the World Series, yeah. baseball. Preventative Tommy John surgery seems to be happening like crazy. It's baseball. They're doing a erratic throwing motion yeah. uh, to the body. It seems because there's a lot of, you know, Tommy John surgeries and elbow type surgeries. So, like, what's up with that? And how can they prevent that? Let's uh, let's pass the mic over to our resident nerd here. Push your glasses up. Let us. What, so, <laughs> break it. What is Tommy John surgery? What are we really? What are they operating on? What are they trying to do with Tommy John's? Clear that up for us first. So typically. Tommy John's is most common in baseball, like Kevin touched on. Uh, and what it is, it's a repair of your ulnar collateral ligament, which is a ligament on the inside of your elbow, if you're looking at it from anatomical position. Uh, so the pinky side of your arm. <laughs> we'll go with that. That makes more sense to the average person. If your palm is up. If your palm <laughs> is up, the pinky side. No, it's the same either way. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> On the medial side. Google, Google it. it, fucker. <laughs> uh, but basically what happens, and uh, typically it's in pitchers, I believe, mostly. Uh, yes. Makes the most sense because yes. they're doing so repetitive throwing motions. Yeah. But when you, if you've ever watched a pitcher throw a pitch out in slow motion, you'll see how far their arm whips back when they get into that really externally rotated position. There's a lot of forces going through the medial side of that elbow and that ulnar collateral ligament. So over time, if there is too much repetitive use or just not enough capacity in that ligament, it'll start to degrade and eventually rupture. So what Tommy John surgery is, is going in and actually repairing that ligament. Uh, and what Kevin was talking about being preventative Tommy John surgery yeah. A lot of people will go, I don't know the process, if they actually like intentionally injure it yeah. or if they're just going in and doing what like they would do if it was injured. Times, yeah. But the theory there is that by going in and repairing it preemptively before there's actually any sort of damage to it, a lot of people say that they throw harder because the ligament becomes stiffer after the surgery. Also, like back to like their original elbow when yeah. they were younger. Yeah, and I'm not going to pretend that I know that much about baseball because I don't. If you guys want to learn more about that, a guy you should look into is Eric Cressy. He works a lot with pitchers and uh, professional baseball players and has a lot of experience in that field. But most of what I've heard about it is that it's kind of garbage. It doesn't really make a difference. And if you think in terms of injuries in general, the most, the thing that you're most likely to injure following a previous injury is whatever you previously injured. So if you have a history of ankle sprains, well, you're more susceptible to ankle sprains. And after you have an ACL done, the next most likely thing that's going to happen is you're going to tear your ACL. So the point where the tear is actually repaired where it joins get stronger, but the surrounding structures don't. So you're not likely to re-tear it at the site of injury previously. Yeah. It's kind of above or below that spot. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like, um, so it, it almost seems like 
being preventative, it seems like they're trying to get to. They don't it want to like recover. Such a, it time. seems like such a surgeon answer to the question. Yeah. Me. Like if you were to have a, a bunch of clinicians and coaches in the room, the surgeon's the one like, let's fucking fix it before it gets hurt. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then you have a guy like Zach who would be like, let's build capacity so that you can withstand more of that force yeah. so yeah. that we can mitigate this injury in some way. So you know? I feel like in a way preventive Tommy John surgery is basically just giving them the surgery because their elbow is starting to show that fatigue and that damage. And they're doing it at a time where it won't affect the fact that they can play baseball. I don't think it's even necessarily at a time when it's starting to show damage. It's just that there's either potential for damage yeah. or they're looking for a performance benefit because it becomes because stiffer. Of stiffness. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if they've done any sort of studies as far as like throwing velocities or throwing forces post Tommy John surgery, but you would think that would be something they would look at before having people go under the knife unnecessarily. Yeah. But to me, it makes more sense. Look at the athlete's training. What are they doing to help build the capacity and mitigate injury? And what kind of volume are they throwing at? Like if, if it's happening in younger athletes, maybe the pitch count needs to be monitored a little bit more closely or you need to revisit and restrict it further. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that on an earlier podcast. You put it so much nicer than I did. I think I told them to stop being fucking idiots and let their kid play a different sport. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, Along the same lines. Stop being such a fucking idiot. Same, same thing. Different I mean, words. Yeah, count those. Like, count your son's pitches. Count your daughter's pitches. Make sure they're not. Your kid doesn't need to play for four baseball teams. Yeah, they don't that, need to. That, that as well. You know? Make sure it's, you know what I mean? Like, if they're going to go pro, it's not because they pitched on 30 teams. It's because yeah. they have a good pitch. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I always, whenever athletes bring up surgery to me, I always kind of cringe. I mean, there's it's it's unavoidable yeah. at a certain point, but I really think that's got to be your last resort. And they and and they I, like surgeons almost seem to treat things like as if the body came with extra parts. Like we didn't need that anyway. Take that out. Yeah. Put this in. You know, it's like I said, it, you tear your ACL. You know, you, if you end up tearing the UCL in your elbow and then needing Tommy John, like, we got to do something to fix it, Yeah. you know, if you want to get back to your sport. But it's, it really, you should exhaust every possible option before you get under the knife, yeah, you know, for sure. I think. Yeah, no, 100%. I think the problem is, is that there's a lot of money riding on those athletes, right? Yeah. So when you're doing your preventative Tommy Johns and stuff, it seems like, you're doing it, and, and I'm sure that's how I'm sure that's how they're looking at it. I'm sure that's how owners right? are looking at it, and trainers and doctors. Yeah. But pull your fucking head out of the sand for a second and look at it in a long term picture. Yeah, you know, yeah, you do this preventative surgery, or you rush into this surgery instead of doing, you know, a rehab approach that might take a little longer, yeah. but do more in the long run. So you do the rush through the surgery, get the athlete back for this season. But, you know, they end up re-injuring because, yeah, you fixed it, but you didn't take any time to develop strength around what was fixed. You didn't develop any capacity through the joint. You didn't yeah. do anything. You just fixed it and went and played, you know. So just just think. Just take it one step further and just think of the long-term development, you know yeah. what I mean? I understand there's money on the line, but there's a lot more. Odell is worth a lot more money to you, just as an example, you know, on the field for three years than he is just that one year where you rush him back and then he gets hurt again kind of thing. Yes, I I agree with you 100% there. Do we have another injury I think we want to talk about? Uh, Yeah, one more. Shin splints. I feel like this plagues everyone and at some point in their life. Like, is there kind of maybe a garden variety fix or is this something that is a lot 
more kind of malleable of a situation. Like, it can and I think it. also touch on is this the death sentence that a lot of people think it is? Yeah, I get a lot true. of people coming and saying I can't run anymore because I'm getting shin splints. I can't. 100%. I love running, but I can't do it. Yeah. So is there is there a way to get out of it and and fix to the best that you can possibly do it? I think one of the difficult things with shin splints is it's such a non-specific term. Like yeah. it could mean a lot of different things. More or less, it kind of boils down to an overuse injury. Uh, so people that deal with this, oftentimes they're just getting into running. So people are going yes. straight off the couch and then decide that they're going to do... They're going to run a 5K today. Yeah, yeah. or like 100%. the next half marathon. Or, yeah. um, so again, talking about capacity, which is kind of like an overarching theme of injuries. Like, what are you doing to prepare yourself to run? And there's a really good quote, and this doesn't necessarily tie into shin splints, but everybody talks about having bad knees and their knees are bad for running. It's like, well, no, like maybe you just aren't ready or don't have the capacity to run yet. So looking at things like training history, uh, what are they doing aside from running? What kind of prerequisites do they have? So again, touching on prerequisites, what do the ankles look like? What do their hips look like? So there's a lot of kind of confounding factors, but more or less it boils down to build things gradually over time instead of just coming off the couch and deciding that you're going to set a new world record in the marathon, um, add variety to your training, do some sort of resistance training, strength training to help build that, uh, and also make sure that you have the prerequisites to run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great from the clinician side. That's exactly what you need to be looking at from the performance side, from my side, take that feedback, that pain in your shins and understand that it's, you know, you're probably not running correctly if you're getting that. So yeah. you also need to look at the running technique, yeah. right? So yes, you need to have capacity. That's first and foremost, but when you do get back to running, make sure you're running properly. So look into things like Dr. Uh, Nicholas Romanov's pose method of running uh, CrossFit endurance. If if Ryan McKenzie's still active on there, I'm not sure if he is. Yeah. But he had a lot of great info on on running mechanics. I am no running expert. If you've ever seen me, you know. <laughs> but you, you have to run properly because you know we we are designed to run. We are capable of doing it. Yeah. It's a matter of having the capacity, like Zach talked about, and then doing it properly. Yeah. Would you? Um. I feel like there's also a lot of things that suggest taking off your shoes and running. So find a field, run without your shoes on to, see, to feel your body. Just do it super gradually. Right. Don't like, we had, yeah. when, when Vibrams came out, that's what they were called, right? Yeah, the five figure yeah. toe things. Toe thing, yeah. Like everybody went from, because that was the craze, like the cushioned heel is bad for your running, which it is because you slam your heel in the ground. Yeah. And then everyone's like, well, I'm just going to put these Vibrams on as if they're going to force me to run correctly. Yeah. And it didn't change anything. You ran the same way and then you wore a hole in your kneecap <laughs> and you fucking destroyed your feet. Yeah. You know, and then Vibrams are they're sued and I don't even know if they make them anymore because of the liability of, of people being fucking idiots. So it's it's got to be a gradual process. If you're someone running in big cushioned heels, I think you should get out of those, but it needs to be, you know, like start walking around yeah. in, in something flatter first, you know, and then run for a couple minutes and then get back in your regular shoes and finish your run and gradually increase that time right gotcha take your time it seems to be the like, yeah the, the thing with running barefoot is that you can't run 
in bad position. You won't heel strike barefoot yeah. because it fucking hurts. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you maybe running through a field you will, but like if you're on concrete, you're not going to heel strike in bare feet. Yeah. It hurts. I think people are always blown away when you talk about how weak someone's feet are, but imagine walking around with oven mitts on your hands for 30 years and then taking them off and trying to use your hands. <laughs> like it's not going to work. Yeah. Your yeah. foot is basically casted from the time that you get put in shoes. Yeah. And then, like Brad was talking about, you put on a pair of Vibrams and try and run your regular distance, yeah. and you're blown away that you're injured. Like your, your foot hasn't been doing that kind of work for a very long time, so you've got to build into it gradually. You fucking dummy. <laughs> Just a little common sense, people. Just yeah. a little bit of common sense. Take your time. Ease yourself into it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always with fitness. It's a marathon, not a sprint, man. Yes. You don't have to be in shape tomorrow. You just have to be in shit in better shape later in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that about does it for this episode. Um, I'm not even going to bother asking Zach about hip-hop. Kevin, you got anything? Um... What do I got this time? I am listening to um, Chaos again. I went right back to it. Went back to the well. Grabbed it in the bucket. <laughs> <Grabbed> <laughs> the bucket. I was listening to, um, what was it? Hymns of the Disco or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's one in the middle. It's a, it's a weird kind of album. It's all kind of over the place. And it's, it's worth a check out for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, in that period of time, kind of... Uh, Joyful Rebellion, uh, Hymns of the Disco, and um, uh, Exit. Like there, it was. It was like fire, fire, fire. So in when the is middle. Chaos gonna come on the podcast? Right, I feel just like rename we it the Chaos Podcast. Right, shout out to Chaos. We're gonna make sure and tag you on Instagram. <laughs> We've been plugging you out here. Yeah, and hard. Come on <laughs> um, I've been listening to. I, I stumbled on. I listen to this rap group called Army of the Pharaohs, which, if you don't know, is like it's like a Wu Tang of the underground. Like it's all the best underground rappers. Yeah. And there's this dude in it named Self Title from Florida, and he's like a Cuban white kid. Like he, he's it's a very different delivery, and a very different sound. He did an album with Buck Wild called 1990 Now, and it's uh, I think it's a few years old now. It came out like 2012, but it's a nice throwback to 90s era boom bap like grimy street hip hop with a really smooth flow over like like itself is a very very smooth talker you know what i mean he's yeah. he's trying to think of who you could compare him to maybe like a cool modi type of lyricist you know um everything just kind of feeds into the next word and it all kind of flows nicely um so that that's a dope album man there's a lot of bangers on there um vinny's new album i'm still bumping that i've been into the underground stuff lately yeah. for sure yeah Okay. All right, so that's all we got uh, for today. I appreciate you guys checking us out. I appreciate Kev, Zach, stopping by. Glad to be here. Bless. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time.